Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hi, I'm Suzanne Kafaja, a rheumatologist, and I would like to thank Dr. Chanik and Dr. Sagar for inviting me for the organizing committee and for, um, for all of you for being here. Um, what I wanted to discuss today is really an introduction to pulmonary hypertension in the setting of rheumatic diseases um, and discuss how prevalent that is in connective tissue disease um, spectrum, as well as uh, focusing on systemic sclerosis specifically, which is my, um, my uh, area of expertise and passion. Um, uh, we'll discuss briefly the uh, usefulness of autoantibodies. We have, uh, I think the previous panel had discussed briefly uh, the usefulness of uh, some antibodies uh, that you get and when to get them. And, uh, and I know that Dr. Sagar and other colleagues have discussed this as well in, as far as the ILDPH interplay, um, so I'll touch upon that as well. So as you all know, when, when discussing um, uh, pulmonary hypertension, the focus typically is to jump onto systemic sclerosis. But I wanted to bring out to your attention that when looking at all the different groups um, of uh, pulmonary hypertension, um, there are various uh, rheumatologic conditions that can present with that, including lupus, um, sis, uh, systemic sclerosis, of course, um, as well as Sjogren's, um, sarcoidosis, and others. Um, so um, in to keep in mind, you know, this is kind of a, um, it goes to show you that whether it's group A, group one, group two, three, or four, um, or five for that matter, the uh, pulmonary hypertension presentation can present in a number of uh, rheumatologic conditions. So um, we see here that for group one, for instance, um, mainly it's uh, the systemic sclerosis patients that present that way. Um, group two, the focus is sometimes mostly on uh, rheumatoid arthritis, but also systemic sclerosis as well. Group three, really a, a, um, a, an umbrella of diseases that can present uh, with that, including dermatomyositis, polymyositis, which is something that I have not discussed earlier, um, as well as systemic sclerosis and sarcoidosis. Uh, this is, these are things that were brought up by Dr. Sagar earlier and uh, the previous group. Uh, as well as, um, you know, keep in mind that we have the thromboembolic um, conditions uh, with, which are related to group four um, in patients with lupus or just antiphospholipid um, syndrome. And keep in mind that even a subset of uh, other conditions, including scleroderma patients, can have um, uh, antiphospholipids antibodies that are positive, uh, positive and uh, should be looked into. Um, about 10% of patients with scleroderma can have it, up to 10%. So uh, make sure to include that in your um, in this sort of uh, antibodies and uh, that you look for in these uh, subset of patients. So the bottom line is that any pulmonary hypertension group may be detected in patients with CTD. So keep that in mind when evaluating um, your patients, not just group three, not just group one. Um, so all of it. Um, and then when focusing now on 
you know, in looking at uh, the scleroderma specifically and why we focus on scleroderma specifically, the, this is a study basically that looked at um, the French registry as well as the um, Reveal registry, which is a U.S. Um, a group. Um, the, the combination of this is about 3,000 patients where um, the, uh, the sum of this basically goes to show that systemic sclerosis patients associated pulmonary hypertension account for about 75% of all the cases. But keep in mind that, yes, other connective tissue diseases are involved. And um, and why do we focus on these uh, groups? You know, and what age should we focus on them? Really, um, systemic sclerosis patients are predominantly women. Um, and this is what's been noted here, is that the majority um, of the presentation occurs in women, um, anywhere between a ratio between 1.9 to 4, depending on uh, the registry that you're looking at. And age presentation is about 50, at least based on the registry. Now, focusing on systemic sclerosis, it's not, it's an umbrella of conditions that patients can have. Uh, So uh, while our patients can have um, a number of of, uh, organs that are involved, uh, and so their presentation can vary. Uh, So some of our patients have skin thickening, some don't. Um, Some have lung um, involvement, lung fibrosis, some don't. Some have GI involvement where uh, this actually... you know, I, I don't think we discussed it, uh, discussed this earlier, but it does take into a, you know, we need to take it into account and it should be uh, taken into account. Um, it is taken into account when patients are sent for a transplant, for instance, but um, it can also impact interstitial lung disease and the progression of it. So we need to pay attention to and keep in mind that patients, for instance, with systemic sclerosis, as well as myositis patients can have esophageal dysmotility. And uh, so they can have reflux, they can have microaspirations that could um, actually make make it look like their interstitial lung disease, for instance, is getting worse uh, while um, and could be contributing to some of their um, dyspnea symptoms. Um, that could be complicating the picture for us. Um, patients with scleroderma also can have renal uh, involvement, renal crisis, um, so they can present with Proinuria, pulmonary um, with uh, hypertension, um, so that can also lead to with their um, with their proinuria. Uh, if they're having um, renal crisis, their creatinine rises, um, and sometimes that can foggy up the picture for us. Um, and we need to pay attention that you know perhaps when they present with this renal exertion is not necessarily, and especially when it's sudden, um, it may be related to any a number of these symptoms. Um, patients can have a dryness in their eyes, mouth, and secondary Sjogren's as well. Uh, musculoskeletal involvement, as far as our, um, our patients go, um, they can have muscle weakness, they can have myopathy, they can have overlapping myositis. So that all plays into perhaps their ability to expand their lungs, they expand their chest wall, um, their overall fatigue um, and dyspnea. Um, so not everything is truly um, a presentation, a, a straightforward presentation, or something that we're going to be able to make a determination based upon that. And lastly, I want to uh, point out uh, Raynaud's, and I'll talk about this in detail um, in a little bit, uh, where um, 
this is a big focus, and I would like to hopefully well, the um, some of the points that I'm going to point out to you um, and some of the home take uh, take home messages for you will be to. Pay attention to some of these patients that are presenting with more of a vascular presentation, because um, those are the patients that we worry about as far as um, pulmonary hypertension. So given what I've just told you, patients with systemic sclerosis can have multitude of causes for their dyspnea or fatigue or uh, chest pain presentation or palpitations. Um, and when we look at the the causes, of course, you we see that it could be due to restrictive lung disease or myopathy, as discussed earlier. It could be to the, their heart failure, for instance, and LV diastolic dysfunction, um, as well as um, anemia uh, due to GAVE, for instance, um, uh, gastric ectasia. Uh, so they could be losing blood, becoming dyspneic, uh, which also, again, uh, goes to show that it, it, this all complicates the picture of when you evaluate patients with autoimmune diseases. Um, so, and why we pay attention to pulmonary hypertension is because this pulmonary hypertension is actually one of the major classification criteria for systemic sclerosis. It is something that we um, uh, we don't take lightly, and although it takes a while for patients to present, um, it might take years for them to present, but I'll go into um, uh, th what type of patients we need to uh, we evaluate um, more closely. So these are some of the differences. You're probably all familiar with this and the differences between patients with systemic um, uh, limited disease versus diffuse. Um, so patients with um, diffuse disease are more likely to develop as time goes on, um, years down from their presentation, they tend to have more pulmonary uh, fibrosis um, less so of pulmonary hypertension, um, less so of scleroderma crisis or cardiac involvement. If you look at the patients with limited disease, those are the patients with more vascular um, uh, components of their disease. They're more likely to develop uh, less so than the others. Um, they develop pulmonary hypertension uh, or pulmonary fibrosis, but more so of them develop pulmonary um, hypertension compared to the ones with the diffuse disease. Um, scleroderma crisis um, is very, very minimal uh, compared to others. And uh, as far as the cardiac disease, um, it's about equal. So some of the things that we take into account when evaluating patients with pulmonary hypertension is what are what is their age. I just did discuss with you that uh, patients who are usually perimenopausal or around their 50 is um, typically women are the ones that we focus on, on um, historically. New onset digital ulcers. So this is, again, more the vascular patients that are presenting with, um, that are at risk for developing pulmonary hypertension. Those that are presenting with limited systemic sclerosis. So um, skin that is basically sparing their upper extremities, sparing their thighs, and their abdomen. Um, those are the patients with limited scleroderma. Dilated nail fold capillaries that I will be discussing soon. So this is a patient with Raynaud's that I have, um, and you see the discoloration, the purple discoloration of her hands. 
And the uh, the classical definition of Raynaud's is really episodic symmetric vas- vasospastic disorder uh, that's involving a triphasic color change in patients. So they go from white, red, purple, sometimes white, red, blue, uh, but classically it's a triple change in the color. And there are variations, and I bring this up. I know this is my maybe kind of too de- too detailed for a majority of the group here who is probably a pulmonologist, but I wanted to really bring this up to your attention because capillaroscopy really plays a role in in our assessment of how likely for patients. You know, I know Dr. Chanik had discussed um, the the new guidelines, and um, it would be nice for a, a rheumatologic kind of input into this, um, especially for the, vas- uh, for, the, for the vascular component of, uh, of patients and where we stand. Because typically, for patients that don't have nonspecific abnormalities um, in non-scleroderma patients, they, uh, you will tend to see that their capillaries, so typically when we look at the nail fold capillaries using multiple uh, gadgets, uh, sometimes just an ophthalmoscope uh, that we have in um, in the office, um, we looked at, as to um, how um, well-defined and uh, it's almost like all the vasculature needs to look like picket fence. The, the blood vessels in the nail fold look, should look like picket fence. And whenever we see decrease in the, um, uh, in, in the, um, uh, uh, in the density, as well as decrease in uh, change in the um, in the pathology. If, uh, for instance, you might get dilated blood vessels, and I'll go into into this a little bit further. That may be a clue as to where the patient is headed, and whether they have scleroderma or they don't have scleroderma. That may be a clue that they're headed towards a more a vascular presentation down the line. In patients with scleroderma, for instance, um, they're and early on, you don't have any decrease in the density. Uh, but later on, in ba- patients with active disease, you might start to see some giant uh, cap- capillaries presentation. And, um, and then you might see a little bit of dropouts later on. So in, um, these blood vessels start to disappear on you. In this particular study, for instance, they noted that a higher number of patients with systemic, scler- systemic sclerosis who developed pulmonary hypertension had more severe patterns of nail fold capillaries where they had decreased density, increased um, main loop capillary width, so they start to develop these giant capillaries, and um, they get uh, these um, uh, neonatogenesis where you get new capillary formation. And these are some examples, for instance, that I've taken in my office off of patients uh, that, I've, that I saw, where you have, this is the picket fence that I was talking about. You see how well um, organized the capillaries are. And in some patients, you start to see early on these capillary leaks. Later on, um, these are some of the patients that I would start to get worried about to, to, into developing um, pulmonary hypertension, or these are more vascular patients, more vascular presentation. This is a giant, um, giant capillary here. And you start to see the dropout, so the um, capillaries are not as dense. They are becoming far in between, and you get these giant capillaries and these uh, ballooned up 
capillaries as well. Um, so those are patients that I would I would argue that um, I would worry about them um, into developing more vascular presentation like pulmonary hypertension down the line. So these are just different um, patients' presentations where you see even undifferentiated connective tissue disease patient presenting with hemorrhage. Um, another one with lupus. Um, you see the um, just the variations in the capillaries, and sometimes you can, you know, those are the the type of patients that you might start to kind of. Uh, pay more attention to down the line um, uh, that they are at high risk, perhaps, of developing this. Again, along the same line, this is very um, later on and in, um, in very um, uh, severe cases, you might develop, um, you might have patients that develop digital ulcerations and ischemia, uh, dry gangrene, and um, they might develop autoamputation. So those are the patients you need to worry about. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME, LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash CME. Thank you for listening.